I couldn't go another day. I think I had so much internal resolve to be that person. I was going to just barrel through. And my body, my physical personhood could no longer endure it. So like I had taken it to 23 and it was over, but I will share this and hopefully it's a little levity. I asked a best friend to come with me into the registrar's office. I said, you gotta help me out. I said, I can't get back to school. I'm gonna tell these people I'm taking a leave of absence. <laughs> what I'm not gonna tell them is that it's permanent. And it was. And I thought, okay, I'll go back after a semester. I knew inside. It was like somebody just gave me a get out of jail free card. So, and I never looked back. Even once when I moved to Florida, I actually applied to Stetson, got accepted, and I looked at that thing and I thought, it's making me sick. I can't do it. So we really need to give ourselves permission to check in. And one more thing. I know you're going back to family stuff. So what did the family say? I'll give you a funny one. I'm 48 years old. I left law school at 23. My mother and father come down to visit. I'm with my daughter. I'm looking over a contract with my husband for the business we're running. And she said to me in front of my daughter, and I think this is what was the operative thing, because she's doing it for the next generation. She said, oh, Maura, too bad you you never became a lawyer. And I said, well, why is that? She said, well, you could have drawn up this contract. And I said to her, but I could pay somebody else to do this contract. I said, why would I have to dedicate my entire life and time and resources to doing something I didn't like? And then I said, which is an interesting thing, and I think maybe a lot of kids and adults could hear this. I said to her, you know, we were that important to be a lawyer, because she was really the, the, the mission behind it. I said, why didn't you think about going back to school and becoming a lawyer? And I think a lot of kids deal with that with their parents. Sometimes it shows up in sports. It shows up in all kinds of ways. But I laughed. There was no winning that argument. So when do you when you dealt with and you broke the news? Now I'm I'm curious now. You being at the age that you are, being in the professional world, having your career take off, do you still occasionally deal with guilt? Uh, feel like you let your somewhere your family down? No. That old guilt, not at all. Because you know something? I think the longer we go in a path that you referenced, you were very deep there. We haven't... Well, you were. You really went deep. But it's very... It's it's meaningful for all of us. We have the outside person, I could say. Maybe it's the the one that's been uh, controlled by an environment that says, you need to look like this, be like this, think like this. Then we have our soul. And the soul knows who we are. And we are restless until... We're willing to integrate with that soul, to say more often, soul, what do I think about this? Inner person, how do I feel about this? And let me be honest with myself. The more we're willing to integrate that and work it and make it who we are, starting from the inside and then we continuously move on the outside, the more steadfast we become in who we are. And I'm going to say something else that I think is equally deep. When we really do integrate with that internal person and we start working with those things that are important to us, those passions that we have, those curiosities, those talents we want to develop, we get so strong internally, we don't have to go back to that old guilt. I won't tell you guilt never touches me or I don't feel like badly if I miss the mark on something, but that old idea of who I was supposed to be, I do not ever, ever, ever suffer from. Now, how long did it take you to feel like, how long, in other words, how long did you deal with the guilt when you, when you changed career paths, you were going to get out of law school, you told your family, they questioned, you probably thought you were insane, you know. Giving up so much of a future. Yes. How long did it take you to be okay with 
dealing with their criticism? How long did it take you to do that? You know, I don't even know whether it was criticism. It might have been that silent, like, oh, she could have been better. <laughs> you know? But I think what happened, the longer I went on the path, and it was an accidental one that I ended up in sales. It was the only job I was offered down here. And then three months later, they put me into management, a job I didn't want. And then I realized how adept I was at finding great people, finding talent, finding energies that people had, training people, promoting people, celebrating people, and creating winning cultures. The more I the more I had opportunity to work on those skills and talents that I was really interested in, the more I thought, this is where I belong. I belong around people. See, I knew that as a child. Where to me, being a lawyer would have been a very lonely path. And I'd rather pull everybody together than be this attorney that was representing one client and anti another client. It was against my nature. What encouragement would you give someone who is in school? Or even now, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, downtown's, I'm sure, filled with those, you know, the, the, the skyscrapers and the big office buildings are filled with people doing a job because they were told that's what they're supposed to do, or they were told that's what pays money. And those people that are down there doing that, what advice would you give them if they're scared, if they want to get out, but they feel like they don't have options? What would you tell them? I need to qualify this too because I keep seeing as you're speaking, there are also people listening that may be in a career that their family told them this is all you're able to do. Mm. And it's an under career and they want to be in the skyscraper. And then you get people in the skyscrapers that want to come out and be a photographer. I would say be willing to make some of those harder choices that go against what you think or what you think other people will think of you and oftentimes it goes to will i fail will i look foolish am i going to lose some of my friends nobody but you will make that decision for you i mean you might lose your job you might get kicked out but you know what ultimately you must make that decision for yourself you've got to own it that's a frightening place to be but it's also one of the most liberating because i i i'm constantly out interviewing people um, I travel to over 60 countries, and I say that because from that and from all the interviews I do, I recognize a lot about the human condition. We, when we start taking hold of who we are and we become that person and we take stock of it and we take ownership of it, we actually may go through a lot of those steps where we feel like we're falling, we are failing, we're flailing around and questioning ourselves, but in the long haul, we end up physically embodying the strength of those, the culmination of all those decisions and the and the, the work that we've done to get to where we want to go. And we become far different from a lot of people who walk around today. What they are, there's, there's a lot of veneers where people have a title, but they don't really believe in who they are. They're not committed to it. When you really move forward in what you're interested in, you wear it. I can walk into foreign countries and people say, no, Maura, I don't even know why I came to this, but I felt like I was called to hear you speak. And even if I didn't understand a word you spoke, I knew when you stepped in here, you understood me. And I know why. It's because it's in my DNA. The hard choices, sometimes finding the friends or other people that I was part of their group decided they didn't want to be around me anymore. I got too far out of the circle. So I understand it. I've lived it. But ultimately, you become your own strength. You wear it, and you wear it well, and you wear it legitimately. Really? That's the upside. That's the upside. After all the fear. <laughs> <laughs> That's the upside. So let me ask you this question. 
what do you there's always there's often that quote that's happened that's quoted as said happiness uh, is not a destination happiness is a journey and I've listened to that for a number of years and I understand what that means but I've kind of reached a new path where I really feel like a lot of happiness is a choice you know a, a lot of people you can decide you, know, you can look at a situation that you're in uh, great not all situations are great you know I mean, if you're, you know, this December the 1st and you lose your job and you think about Christmas, you're not going to always be happy about that situation. But I think gratitude and being grateful for things we do have can increase happiness. Um, what people that are, what three things would you tell people if, you know, say they, they're not that happy or they would like to have more happiness and sometimes they're chasing a trophy, uh, whether it be like a car or a new job title or or they're chasing, you know, that they can just hit this income level, then they'll be happy. What advice would you give those people that feel like they're chasing happiness and they don't really know how to get it? The first question is, is that your idea of happiness or have you bought into somebody else's idea of happiness? And, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to do everything I do from personal experience, but statistics even through Harvard, have shown that the more people try to chase after happiness, the more it eludes them. You talk about the idea of success. Success is always going to be the next carrot, the next marker, the next, um, let's say, the next money level, the next position, the next purchase. But if you concentrate more on, how do I feel about this? What is this making me feel happy? Is this making me feel more energized? You end up embodying happiness in the course of your journey rather than running after this elusive idea of what we think success is. That's a biggie. Number two, I want to pick up on this. Happiness really is a choice. It is a choice. Many people are struggling every single day with a lot of thoughts, either their old thoughts or their current day thoughts, like, oh, I'm worried about my security. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my kids. Um, I'm worried about what other people think of me. But every day, each one of us has an opportunity and a choice to decide how we're going to feel and how we're going to think. And I want it. I want to offer this because this is something that has become so real for me over and over and over again from my childhood. We can look at a gazillion so-called problems in life or worries, and yet we can reduce them to two choices. In everything I'm looking at today, and everything anybody's looking at that would be considered problematic, I'm either going to see myself as a victim in a very frightening world that makes no sense, or I'm going to view myself as a beneficiary in a benevolent cosmos. Ultimately, you're either one or the other. And here's a big key, and this is where the choice comes in over and over and over again. And it works. If we see ourselves as a victim, then guess what's going to happen? Everything, even the good stuff, we're going we're gonna to turn it into some form of victimhood. Let's say, the case in point, I was the best mother in the world and all my kids left me. See? <laughs> you can see that, right? But if we choose that we're a beneficiary in a benevolent universe, then even if we lose our job, even if something goes awry and we truly believe this, then there's going to be another twist. There will be another turn. There will be something unexpected that will ultimately, maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but it will ultimately come around and it will be for 
are good. And I want to show you how. You grow in wisdom. You grow in strength. You grow in knowledge. You grow in grace. You grow in um, tolerance of yourself and other people. You know, sometimes you go through a real fail and then suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe what a judgmental person I was and all the time I was successful until I too failed. And then suddenly, now you understand half the human population. You're a better person for it. Right. You allow so much more for it. So truly, if you could see yourself every day, am I a victim in this or am I a beneficiary? And when you truly constantly remind yourself that you're gonna to choose to be that beneficiary, things will turn around and they will work not only to your advantage, but they will somehow work to the advantage of others around you. It's a powerful, powerful thought and it takes it takes courage to choose that way. And sometimes you gotta go against all of your conditioning and all of your biggest fears, but I'll tell you, it will reward you in the long run. Very cool. So um, we had a couple questions. I want to pick out one person wrote in and asked a question. It was kind of kind of a heavy question, but I'm, it's something I think that a lot of people deal with. A lot of a lot of the population deal with. And um, she asked a question: If someone deals with clinical depression, chemical imbalance, an actual mental issue, a clinical depression, how do they, or what is the best way for them? to try to improve their overall happiness when they feel like they can't? That is a phenomenal question. And kudos to whoever it was that asked the question. Whether or not they realize it, there are so many people out there that struggle with the same thing and wouldn't dare speak about it. I was just in New York about two weeks ago speaking with a friend, and she said to me, Lord, do you know how many people up here are medication because they are fighting depression? It's part of the human fabric at this time. But I want to go back into my own life. When I was very little, I happened to experience a lot of death around me. There were people that were just dying around me, yeah. old, young, quickly, slowly, in shocking ways. I was petrified of death as a child. So you talk about being petrified, you can't even move. I remember being so afraid that even in gym class, sometimes I couldn't get on the mat and do some things. I also remember when I was a freshman in high school, my parents, this is all part of the conditioning of what nice girls who are the future New Jersey lawyers are gonna do. Instead of going to the public high school, I was sent to this private, supposedly very nice, all-girl Catholic prep school. Didn't wanna go, and I got so depressed in that place. I begged my parents to take me out. They wouldn't. Had great grades. I was even offered a, offered a scholarship. But you know what I did? Because I had no control. I stopped eating. And before Karen Carpenter, who ended up getting diagnosed and dying with, um, what is it when you don't eat? Not bulimia. It's the opposite of bulimia. Anore anorexia. anorexia. I was that anorexic. Because I thought, you know what? I have no control over my life. I'm going to have to be here for four years. The least I could do is stop eating and be thin. And I was painfully thin. Painfully. So I offer all of this to say, I know what it's like to feel totally depressed, but you know what? In several times throughout my life where I felt that way, I remember thinking one thing, and this comes back to the question and the personal decision. I can stay where I am, and I know what it feels like, and I don't even see an end to this. Or I can make a new choice, and I could say, there's nobody else that's going to pull me out of this. I'm going to pull myself out of it. And sometimes, Dwayne, many times, we have to literally go into a well that we feel is so dry and 
so dark and so deep and so frightening that nothing is in there, but we are going to, by our own faith, pull something out of nothing. And I want to say that is really the course of life for all of us. Sometimes we have to go to those really hard places and we have to do it over and over and over again. But I will tell you something else. It's going damn deep to pull up what we feel isn't even there, that we find something magical. Magical. Yeah. We find something magical. (laughs) And then we know it ourselves because we are the one that experienced it. And that's the beginning of regaining personal sovereignty, personal, um, I'm going to say personal power. It may come only in little drips and drabs. Take it, write it down, mark the day that you felt it, put it in a journal and go back to that journal and live in the place of that journal until that becomes part of who you are and keep repeating it. And it'd be coming like a learned behavior. It is. Okay. Just as much as the other behavior, which oftentimes for us is a default behavior because there's a lot of things all of us want to run away from because they're frightening or they're heavy or they've left us feeling paralyzed. But it's not until we're willing to go back. It's sometimes it's just one step at a time. Right. And we get used to that new step and that new level and we're up to the next. And so what if we feel sometimes like we're going to fall back? We know we've been on that other on that other one that we could get back there again. But it's really something within ourselves. I want to offer one more thing. It's a great word that's just coming to me now. It's written in A Course in Miracles, and it just hit me. It said, the body cannot heal the mind, but the mind can heal the body. And I believe there's some truth to that. If we are willing to constantly rechange, I believe there's something within us that will ultimately find the higher ground. So I hope that's a good answer for the person that was looking. Okay. Very cool. So here's the question we're going to end with. I want you to I hope we're going to end on a good note. We, we, are okay, definitely, we already dealt with depression definitely. and death. So. <laughs> and anorexia. Right. We're going we're gonna to end with this. Finish this phrase. The magic happens when... I love this one. This is a great way to end. The magic happens when we are willing to step out into our dreams. I'm going to tell you, I had such big dreams when I was a little girl. I would lie on the, on the ground and an airplane would pass by. And all I could think about is I want to get on that airplane and be people everywhere around the world. I saw a typewriter in my grandfather's uh, office, his legal secretary used to use, and all I could think is, oh, I want to write stuff on formal documents that people will read and consider. I used to think about the Kennedy White House and leadership. Do you know what I do today? Even though I had so many reasons in my life not to be this, in my 50s, I've traveled around the world. I've made new friends. I speak on leadership. I speak on what our commonalities are. I talk about following our dreams. I am that person that's done it. And I podcast, I blog, I'm on HuffPost. I have my own website. I've written books. I have become the fulfillment of a dream that I had as a preschooler even before I could read. So I don't just talk about it. I am it. So magic happens when you're willing to step out on your dreams and you do it over and over and over again. That's it. That's it. Is that, a, is that a take? A cut? What do you Love call it? it? TV land? Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. A wrap. Yeah, is that the word you were looking for? Yeah. We are finished. We're heading out. Edit. Cut. Okay. We want to thank all y'all for watching. We want to thank Maura for being here. Maura, she is giving some giveaways as a reward. 
for you all tuning in. Send me an email. I'll put up the email on the screen. Send me an email. We'll tell you how you can get some of the things. She has, she has some books. Uh, you do some coaching. Is that true also? So um, she wants to reward all of you for watching, watching her segment. We want to do that also. Our belief is that we there is a club. There is a club of people, the guests that are part, partaking in this show, us as producers that are producing this show, we are building a club, we are building a fraternity, if you want to say, or sorority, fraternity, a, a nice social club where we want to welcome you, you that are thinking about doing something with your dreams, but you're talking yourself out of it, you're scared. The belief of what we do is small businesses is the real magic of America. Small business is what makes America great. Small business is what moves America. And business does well when businesses are doing business with other businesses. We want you to join this club. So if you're out there and you're thinking about something and you're talking yourself out of it, fear's overcoming you, uh, you're giving yourself excuses, you're worried about what your family thinks, you worry about what your friends are going to say, or you're doing something because you were told that's what you're supposed to do. We want you to join the club. Start small just to get started. Get active. Invest a little bit of time. Invest a small little bit of money into getting your idea off the ground. That's all it takes is a little bit of time. We want you to come. Thank you for watching. Check out the next segment. We're out. Thank you. Have a good day. What do you think? You like it? That was pretty intense. I never shared all that stuff. Right, Jimmy? And very well, I'm very real. But that was that was intense stuff. You are. You know what? I have to say this. I, I, you know, I interview a lot, but a good interviewer makes for a much better interview. Even really? if, a, even yeah, if a guest definitely. is good, I've had some people interview me, and it's like I, I will blame myself for it if I'm not at the top of my game. But a good interviewer brings out the best in a good guest. Like even some of the stuff that you were saying, that was really when I said to you it was pretty deep. It was deep and simple all at the same time. All right. Well, thank you. For giving me that opportunity to share all that stuff. And I